Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. It is early morning, Friday, November the 24th, 2023. And this is podcast number three of the Seed Working Paper series. And of course, I am joined by uh, Karen Alpert in Australia and Laura Snyder, citizen of the world and the author of the Working Papers. And this is uh, paper number three, uh, where we are so far as we have discussed the root of the problem, Genesis, the Cook versus Tate case in our first, our second one, we talked about the practical impact of the U.S. extraterritorial tax regime on Americans abroad. And our focus on this podcast working paper three is on my god so who are the people the groups who are trying to do something about getting change here good morning karen how are you in good Australia? morning yeah it's it's getting late john okay all right laura it's it's early for you you're just starting your day aren't you yep <laughs> well so I mean, it's not as though there aren't people who, I mean, people have clearly noticed this is a problem. Um, I think it's a small percentage of people who think about it very much, and certainly a far smaller percentage of people who've taken any initiative to, you know, do some education, whatever, pushback, et cetera. And it's interesting to me that in working paper number three, uh, Laura took the time to actually identify uh, some of those individuals and groups. And I think this is a great opportunity to give a shout out, frankly, uh, to those individuals and groups. And, you know, and also, though, to, you know, be clear that I'm not so sure that there's so many different aspects to the problem of the U.S. extraterritorial tax regime that largely these groups are focused on uh, different things, okay? There's perhaps not enough unanimity, okay, in terms of the objective, but I'll leave that more or less to, let's let's get started here with Laura, but I, I want to begin with actually a shout outs to both Karen and lawyer, uh, Laura, who have been, you know, absolute uh, pioneers, uh, superstars uh, in the area of education and when these rules are changed, I, I do predict that both uh, Karen and Laura will be more than footnotes uh, in this. But uh, that, that's. I think uh, the same could be said for John, for sure. For sure. Uh, well, whatever. Okay. In any case, uh, Laura, I was surprised, honestly, you know, as sort of a, a reader of, you know, this whole. How long were you involved? Was it a two year project? I mean, that's my impression you know, writing these papers and working papers? Three years. Three years. I mean, it was, it was you know, a massive, massive commitment. And and I, I would actually like to stop. I'm quite serious. I'd like to stop for a minute and just have sort of a moment of recognition for somebody who would devote three years of their lives with such singular purpose and clarity in developing these issues. So Laura, I'm sure I'm not alone in thanking you for, for all of your efforts and Karen's efforts too. Okay. You know, absolutely. But uh, that said, um, so you've done all this stuff, but when you were putting this together, you, 
reached out, you know, canvassed the landscape and took the time to identify, you know, all kinds of individuals and groups who've, who've been involved in this. So first of all, not everybody would do that. Okay, so why did you do that anyway? Well, I think there's different reasons why someone would, could, and should do this. Um, at the time I did this, my reason at that time for preparing this working paper number three, um, which is included in another article, larger article published in the Southern uh, Illinois University Law Journal, The Unacknowledged Realities of Extraterritorial Taxation. Um, just wanted to, to, to say that these working papers aren't... Um, you know they've been they've been published in 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 scholarly journals by you know law journals. Um, so, so Laura, anyway, what the working papers yeah. are to be clear to listeners, okay? Uh, so during this three year period, um, you know you published three very very substantial significant pieces of academic work in law reviews, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, and you've done other things as well, but we're focusing on that. Okay. Now, the purpose of the working papers has been to essentially break the content of those other ones down into sort of digestible topics, kind yeah. of for the retail market, right? I mean, you know, not everybody's capable of reading these law review articles, right? Yeah, it's to, it's a, to kind of, um, yeah, basically break down what's in those three articles. Um, about three or four of the working papers are new material that's not in those three law review articles, but um, but the, essentially the working papers break down what's in those three articles. And those three articles are the Unacknowledged Realities of Extraterritorial Taxation, published by the Southern Illinois University Law Journal. Can Extraterritorial Taxation Be Rationalized, published in The Tax Lawyer, which is a publication of the American Bar Association. And then there's the myths and truths of extraterritorial taxation published by the Cornell Journal of um, Law and Public Policy. You know, this, this is fantastic stuff, but I really want to ask you a bit of a personal question, if I may. When you were growing up, did you have any inkling that your life would be so impacted by a 1924 Supreme Court decision, Cook versus Tate? I definitely did not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing, you know, the roads that we go down, right? <laughs> and I bet you, Laura, that when you were in law school, you even probably had some minimal exposure to Cook versus Tate without even knowing that it would it would change your life so much. I guess that's true. <laughs> I mean, just, just, yeah, yeah. Right? Well, I didn't. I took a course on um, international taxation, where um, where the professor definitely talked about how overseas Americans are taxed. Um, he was quite different from what you see other, uh, what I, I perceive other professors of international tax um, do, because he was quite critical of the system. He was quite critical of the system, um, which you don't, which is rare among tax academics as far as i can tell what is the view you know you sort of the, the the view of the critical mass of tax academics on this issue i mean how do you oh they they think that this is absolutely right that the system is right and that you know we should be subjected to this system there's no problems with it and you know if you you know all you want to do is just not pay taxes if you're complaining about it 
well, you know, it's, it's sort of a, you know. As if the country you live in doesn't have a tax system as well. Yeah, that, yeah that, that's, you know, that's what's fascinating. I mean, I'm looking at some of these these articles and tax notes in conjunction with the Moore case. And, you know, it, it's very, very clear that for some of them, uh, you know, it, it has never occurred to them that other, I mean, I think they think that taxation is a, a particular U.S. invention and sort of a symbol of U.S. exceptionalism that the U.S. has taxation. I, I think that's that's sort of what it is. Yeah, but the reality on the ground is that it's difficult, which is why you have all of these organizations that Laura has identified that are um, basically fighting one way or another um, the current system. Well, so Laura, so let, let me, yeah, John, I haven't answered your question yet. I wrote this paper, basically, the people I had in mind, why did I collect these organizations in this paper and describe what they're doing? Why did I, and, and also list the different research articles, is I had in mind, principally, those academics, those tax academics who ignore all of this, who pretend that it doesn't exist, who who talk about the system as if there's no issues with it or it's fine and people that complain are are, you know, are are their their complaints are illegitimate. They should be quiet. We are right. They don't acknowledge the issues. They don't acknowledge this multiple organizations trying to change. They don't cite the papers that criticize the system. That was who I had in mind when I prepared this. Well, I think that that's, you know, a very, very legitimate objection. I mean, would you say that, generally speaking, the tax academic community is the enemy of Americans abroad? They're certainly in the short list. <laughs> yes. Well, anyway, so great stuff. So, again, now maybe we can give a shout out. I mean, you know, this is about the group. So uh, who are they and, and what's your perception of what they're trying to do and stuff? Well, you've got different organizations and then different individuals who are who are acting in, in the ways that they think best um, to, to see change. So you have. Uh, the Association of Americans Resident Overseas, or ARO. You have Democrats abroad. You have Republicans overseas. You have our organization, SEAT, Stop Extraterritorial American Taxation. You have uh, Fabian Lagler's group, the Association of Accidental Americans, American Citizens Abroad, ACA. You have Karen's uh, group with her website, Let's Fix the Tax Treaty. Um, you actually have um, some organs of the European Union who've tried to at least take small steps towards change. John, you are profiled in this uh, in detail. Um, there's Jenny in the UK. There's JR in the European Union. Um, and then there's um, just ordinary people who contact their uh, Congress people and who respond to congressional uh, calls for comments, um, for, for submissions and things like that. So that you've got that very wide variety of people and organizations doing different things. The bottom line is they're all trying to draw attention to the issues, all trying to find change in some manner. Well, could we agree that the ordinary people are really the, the sort of unsung heroes of life? You know, the people who actually try to participate in the change. It's very tough, but so yes. <laughs> so, all right. Now, that's actually a surprisingly, I think, short list. 
you know, when you think about the magnitude of this problem, right? I mean, because I, I, I didn't, the, I didn't list everybody just because I have a limited amount of time. Yeah, so, but, yeah. yeah. But it's, you know, it's still, I think, indicative of a, you know, sure, there's more, but it's surely indicative of, uh, you know, a lack of organized support to get this changed, I think. Okay. But what I want to ask you is this, um, you know, I mean, I, all these people you've listed, I'm certainly well aware of and have been for a very, very long time. And first of all, Karen, what should be the objective here, ideally? I mean, you got all well, these the, the ideal objective is to sever the connection between citizenship um, or nationality and tax. Every other country taxes on the basis of residence. The U.S. would do that. The problems would go away. Well, I think I think that's probably right. So one would think that you know the unified goal would be just that. You know, to sever citizenship from tax, residency. You know, whatever. Uh, Laura, what's your thought on that? I mean, first of all, do you agree that that would be that should be the goal? And secondly, I mean. Are the to what extent are these uh, uh, sort of anti-CBT advocates, for lack of a better phrase, actually focused on that? To varying degrees, uh, like I said, different organizations, different people are are seeking different changes. Um, you have, um, you know, some are very focused on FATCA and just getting a change with respect to FATCA. Um, others are um, looking to find carve-outs for certain uh, segments of the population. Um, In other words, I want my problem solved. I want my specific problem yes. solved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and, and then you have others, well, SEED in particular, um, who, and yeah, Arrow to a certain extent, SEED in particular, I really want simply to end the taxation based on nationality. Well, well, that is seat's singular focus, right? I mean, as a member, yes. of, I think I can confidently say that, right? Yes, mm -hmm. right, yeah, definitely. Okay, all right. Okay, all right. Um, so I would invite you to comment about, um, you know, you say, well, some people are interested in getting rid of FATCA. Um, I agree with you on that. That is the focus of a lot of people. Karen, could you comment on that? I mean, why does that not, or at least in my, well, that, perhaps you don't agree, but. FATCA is a symptom, not the cause. FATCA is um, a method of enforcing citizenship taxation. If there wasn't citizenship taxation, FATCA wouldn't be a problem. Hmm. God, you put things so simply with such clarity. Laura, I'm assuming that was so simple and clear that you wouldn't even have any idea how to begin refuting that. Would that is that a fair statement? That would be correct. Okay. So why do you think so much of the energy right, for people who recognize, you know, this injustice is focused on, on the FATCA issue and not on getting, and not on uh, getting rid of the CBT. I mean, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you can, 
you can't get into people's heads, right? I, I'm not in anybody's head to know exactly what they're thinking and why. So I think you can only, you know, um, guess. Um, and I, my suspicion is there's multiple things going on. Um, the first one is before FATCA, you had many oh, Americans, people with U.S. nationality living outside the, the United States who were not in the U.S. tax system. They didn't file a U.S. tax return and they really did not con consider themselves concerned by the rules. And um, they were able to kind of live under the radar in that way. And FATCA forced them to at least many of them to come out. Um, you know, to even recognize who they were and to have to deal with this system. And so I, my guess is what's going on in their minds. Again, I'm not them. I'm not in their heads. I can only guess. My guess is you've got two different things going on in their minds. A is um, FATCA is, is, was the start of their problems. Before FATCA, they didn't have problems. Um, you know, that's how they see it. Whether they're right about that or not is another discussion. Um, and then at the same time, the U.S. tax system itself, the underlying tax system, is so complicated. And it, the idea that it would apply to them is so outrageous that I think intellectually, how do you even deal with that? And especially if English is not your native language and you've never lived in the United States, it's a completely foreign place to you. I think that intellectually, mentally, emotionally, it, it, that's an impossible thing to even process. Um, so I can understand from that way why you would, uh, you know, say, okay, then fat, because the source of my problem, if we can just get rid of FATCA, my life can go back to what it was before FATCA. I, I think, you know, I think that's a short-sighted way of looking at it. But I, I, but again, I'm not in people's heads. Maybe they looked at it differently. Um, yeah. But you know, bring Karen into this a little bit. I mean, you know, this sounds to me as though, you know, people who, you know, they never filed U.S. taxes, they were never aware of it, you know, et cetera. So they just sort of feel that, you know, if they can get the banks to stop reporting them, you know, then life just goes back to normal. But with that type of, of response, um, would that be helpful to, you know, the Americans abroad have tried to comply with their U.S. taxes over the years? Number one, my, my one of my first responses to this is you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah, maybe before FATCA, you were able to slide under the radar. But, you know, once you start complying because you think you have to or, you know, whatever, you've come to the attention of the IRS somehow. Um yeah, going back is difficult. So really, even if FATCA was the genesis of their problems, repealing FATCA won't necessarily make it go back to the way it was before. What do you think about that, Laura? Yeah, I, you know, I'm trying to imagine. I don't see at least in, in the current generation, I don't see banks taking it, even if FATCA was repealed. I don't, I think, you know, the, as, as Karen said, the genie's out of the bottle. I have a difficulty imagining that banks are going to suddenly start treating Americans like normal people again. Well, you put it that way, uh, treating them as, well, they're not normal people. They're the property of the U.S. government. And, you know, 
and they have to live their lives according to the U.S. dollar, right? I mean, frankly, uh, I mean, I don't think I'm saying anything particularly wrong here, but I mean, if we're really objective about this, I think Americans abroad are among the least free people in the world anywhere. Well, that's obviously true. It's um, not obvious. I, it's not obvious to a lot of people, right? Yeah. You know, but I think I, it is there's there and i think there's also in terms of the genie being out of the bottle what you what you see in the survey reports that we've been talking about is a lot of people say that you know there there are certain entrepreneurial act, you know opportunities investment opportunities and employment opportunities that as soon as the people that they're dealing with find out that they're they're a us citizen they're excluded they're not in, they're not allowed to participate in whatever that is because because the people that they're speaking to understand that when you bring an american citizen into your into your project you're bringing the us government and the us tax system into your project and the just IRS, by virtue right? of that person's yes, just by virtue of that person's nationality. So in other and words, FATCA's not end of ending FATCA is not going to end that. Okay, so in other words, to associate with a U.S. citizen is to essentially open the door to associating with the IRS. Well, yeah, yeah, you're not just opening the door; you're bringing them in. You're inviting them in. You're ushering them in, inviting them in for coffee. Please come into my life. Sit down. Can I offer you a cup of coffee? I mean, anybody who understands this, you know, I think would probably want to avoid avoid uh, U.S. citizens. And, and certainly, by the way, you know, we're all very interested in this Moore case. Uh, I mean, if somehow the U.S. tax system uh, continues to move in the direction that it is of you know, what I would call deemed income, right? Then you're going to have all kinds of U.S. tax liability, you know, coupled with citizenship taxation. You're going to have all kinds of people outside the United States subject to U.S. tax liabilities, and that's going to definitely impact people they're associated with, spouses, you know, et cetera. And this is, a, you know, this is a gigantic problem. All right, so, so we've got the factor group. Now, second group would be... Um, you know, there's a whole contingent of people who approach this problem and who, in all sincerity, believe that, sincerely believe they're solving the problem uh, by somehow changing the foreign earned income exclusion, you know, so that foreign income is excluded, et cetera, et cetera. Karen, why is that not a solution to this? Because... The foreign earned income, even even if you were to make the foreign earned income exclusion broader, there are still a lot of other types of income that that are going to be taxed. It's only an exclusion, and it still requires U.S. filings. Mm -hmm. Information returns, perhaps? Information returns on controlled foreign corporations passive foreign investment companies. All these problems are not solved by expanding the um, the earned income exclusion. Okay. Even even expand even expanding the types of income that it covers. Right. And John, if I could add to that, um, you know, as I've been saying, these rules are a violation of our constitutional rights 
we are singled out in order to be discriminated against on the basis of our nationality. And changing, uh, you know, making some sort of change around the foreign earned income exclusion doesn't change the basic violations of constitutional rights. Certainly, I would agree with you on that. Um, you know, to sort of tie the, you know, your your comments together, both Karen's and Laura's comments together, would you agree with the following statement? That if you change the foreign earned income exclusion to broaden it or something like that, U.S. citizens are still U.S. tax residents and subject to U.S. taxation. It's just that the U.S. has made a decision to not tax them on a certain kind of income. Right. All right. Yeah. In other words, believe you me, okay, changing the foreign earned income exclusion does not change the U.S. claim that because you are a U.S. citizen that we have the jurisdiction to tax you, right? That's right. And, and the foreign earned income exclusion, if you look at its history, it can get repealed. It can, you know, you never know what's going to be happening next year. It's not and a there, permanent solution. Not at, and there are people, including tax academics, who print it in their textbooks that say that the foreign earned income exclusion is a gift that we don't deserve. Well, and, you know, Senator uh, Grassley, if I'm pronouncing his name properly, regards it as a tax expenditure. All right. You know, mm -hmm. uh, which is quite interesting. But you know, I think the point that I, you know, that if you agree with me on this, that I think is very important to reinforce is that the problem is the U.S. claiming the jurisdiction, you know, to control through taxation people who don't live in the United States. Absolutely. And, and somehow enhancing the foreign earned income exclusion does not change that in the least. I mean, it might make citizenship taxation a little bit less uncomfortable but it doesn't change the reality of this. And Americans abroad will still continue to worry about changes, whether deliberate or accidental in the internal revenue code that can destroy their lives. Is that a statement that you would agree with? Absolutely, definitely. All right. All right, so, you know, we look back to the groups, right? We've talked about the factor group, you know, which and these are exaggerations, okay in fairness, but the FACA group is, we just want to solve FACA, we're going to leave CBT alone, right? The group that are trying to change this through the foreign earned income exclusion is, by God, we're going to leave citizenship taxation intact, but we're going to give citizens abroad, you know, a better break, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. what, what are some other, and, and I do appreciate for, you know, any listeners here that these are relatively broad generalization, you know, whatever, you know, in other words, it doesn't include everybody. But there, there's, also, there's also the group that opposes FATCA on the basis of the data protection issues. Okay. And I think that's a, the, a big, you know, there, there are quite a few people in that. Camp. So in other words, when we look at the FATCA group, we've got the people who oppose it based on, uh, just the principle of identifying U.S. citizens, and and then there's the uh, in that there's sort of a subgroup who say, well, uh, really, okay, we just don't think that data should be sent to the United States, regardless. Right, okay. and it violates the um, general data protection Jeez. regulation right. in Europe, but etc. 
Right. And we've got, I think, you know, Jenny's lawsuit, right? Uh, right. Going on in the UK, which I think is, is in fact the ultimate expression, isn't it, of that principle? Right. Okay. Uh, and it seems to me that the, the, at least some of the accidental American groups, uh, lawsuits have been. Right. And on- and JR's petition at the in the European um, Union is is as I understand it that same flavor of of uh, objection to FATCA. You know, just pausing for a second here, right? What you know, what occurs to me is I think it's worth reinforcing that you know we talk about the U.S. extraterritorial tax regime, we talk about citizenship taxation. You know, if you look at it from a U.S. perspective only. You know, uh, you know, they probably just say, well, you know, U.S. citizen, you know, why, you know, why should the fact they live outside the United States, you know, mean they shouldn't be subject to the same rules. But isn't the reality here that what this U.S. system is doing is imposing taxes, reporting requirements, penalties on people who do not live in the United States, are not U.S. residents, may have no connection to the United States, and very specifically on income that has no relationship to the United States. Is that exactly. a fair statement? So, exactly. I mean, let me ask you this question then, given that I think, you know, absolute truism and reality, don't you think that other countries ought to be pushing back on this? Absolutely. Well, the, the, one of the working papers addresses that exact question. I think it's number 13. I'd have to check which number it is. Mm-hmm. Is there any evidence of pushback? Very little. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's focused mainly on FATCA, um, but very little, unfortunately. Well, you know, if there's very little pushback, right? You know, in other words, uh, you know, the uh, these European governments are not interested in protecting, you know, their citizens that happen to be in residence that happen to be U.S. citizens. I mean. One way of looking at this whole thing, right, is that um, the U.S. imposes rules to punish its citizens abroad, U.S. citizens living in other countries, and those other countries are perfectly happy to go along with the United States in punishing those people. Would that be a fair statement? I think you have to go further, John. The United States has rules that punish the people who reside in other countries and who in all likelihood are also citizens of those other countries. Um, you know, the surveys show that um, the majority of overseas Americans are dual citizens. Um, they're they're long-term residents of the places where they live and they hold the citizenship of the place where they live. So, you know, this is not a matter of, you know, people living outside the U.S. for a year or two. This is a matter of people living outside the U.S., no matter what age they went there at age one or age 20 or age 30, they're living outside the U.S. for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And they are, or at least want to be, members of the communities where they live, including being citizens. And here you have what is essentially a foreign power coming and penalizing, imposing their rules on the residents of other countries. This violates the sovereignty of their countries. These rules, the people who are subject to these rules are identified by their nationality. Practically every country 
has rules that say you cannot discriminate on the basis of nationality. So these other countries are allowing a foreign country to come in and break multiple of their rules, tax rules, um, banking rules, corporate rules, um, financial planning rules, and their basic civil rights in, as in, you're not supposed to discriminate on the basis of nationality. Oh, it's okay for the U.S. to come and discriminate against, uh, you know, discriminate on the basis of nationality in our country. That's fine. We'll allow that. Well, the U.S. can do whatever they want with their own citizens, totally ignoring the fact that they're dual citizens and also citizens where they live. Well, you would agree that I think, based on what you're saying, that the the underlying assumption of this is that U.S. citizens are a property interest, basically, that the United States effectively owns its citizens and has the right to, because of that ownership, treat them in any way they want. Yeah, yes, but the reason why I keep harping on this, you know, you need to talk about this in terms of nationality is because that's what the international texts say. That's what different countries' constitutions say. They say you do not discriminate on the basis of nationality. And that is what is happening here. Right. So, Laura, I mean, you realize that the the, the preamble, right, the opening language of the FACA IGAs is precisely that, oh, my God, we recognize that the that the the, fat, the IGA partner country may have legislation in place, okay, that would prevent, you know, this information going, you know, for reasons of, uh, you know, human rights legislation or anything. And the purpose of the FACA IGA is to override those rights, correct? Yes. And this, it's plain as day. It's plain as day. All right. So every country that signs a FATCA IGA is essentially overriding the the rights of a certain subset of its citizens, right? The human rights, the human rights, not just the legal rights, the human rights of their citizens. Yes. Their residents. Wow. I mean, you know, I would think that this would upset people. Yeah, you'd think. Does it upset? I mean, you know, so Karen, you're running this fix the tax treaty group. I mean, uh, are they generally upset by this or are they more interested in, uh, uh, you know, uh, just figuring out how to be tax compliant? Look, I think there are people who are genuinely upset by by this, by the way. Um, They are treated by both the U.S. and Australian governments. But then there are those who just want to know how to get their tax return filed. Yeah, yeah. You know, my part of my experience of, you know, living this with all these people over these years is that, you know, for people who Basically, I think that tax compliance is is usually the first step to renunciation. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they figure, well, I can solve this by being tax compliant, and they realize they can't. You know, they've created a bigger problem, essentially. Yep. I mean, I think, can we summarize this by saying that uh, in the 21st century, life as a U.S. citizen living outside the United States is essentially a life of being a second-rate citizen, person, et cetera, that does not have the same opportunities, rights, human rights, however you want to put this, 
Gentlemen, this is covered in another working paper. We talk about U.S. citizens. Me, really? US, you know, yeah, as a second-class citizens. Yes, this is covered in. Uh, I presume we'll talk about that when we get there. I tell you, this Laura <laughs> Snyder has just got it all worked out. Well, I, I guess. Laura's got it all covered. What's that? <laughs> Laura's got it all covered. She's got it all covered, which means that listeners should continue this series of podcasts. Well, well, Laura, just in case. Anybody uh, misses the general message here? Uh, would you say uh, that it is uh, important and a worthy goal to stop extraterritorial American taxation now? Yes, yes, I would. I would definitely. Shocked! I didn't know that. Well, <laughs> to learn more about uh, Laura's work and Seed, and you know, I proudly say that seat has the singular focus of severing citizenship from tax residency, which is the only real solution here. Visit the seat website at seatnow.org, S-E-A-T-N-O-W.org. Well, Laura, Karen, thank you very much for another great discussion. Thanks, Thanks John. John.